As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The Athletic. It's straight out of Cobham, a show about Chelsea FC from The Athletic. This week, more pain, more misery, more despair, more Madueke, please. And thank the Lord for Sam Kerr. Available for free wherever you get your podcasts and ad-free on The Athletic. This is Straight Out of Cobham. And we are back to pile on the pain or hopefully help alleviate your suffering, fellow Chelsea fan. It's me, Matt Davis-Adams, joined by two of The Athletic's finest. Simon Johnson's with us. Yeah. For now. <laughs> In body. I'm off to cover another club. I've had enough of this. <laughs> Only five more games to go. Feels like a lot, doesn't it? Liam Toomey's also here. How are you doing, Liam? I'm okay, yeah, but I can't believe that Chelsea have compounded this latest defeat by allowing Sam Allardyce to come off the job market. I know. Um, for those of us who would rather Leeds got relegated, which I'm guessing is everybody listening. I don't know if that's a good or a bad thing. But hey, look, Chelsea probably aren't going to get relegated. Let's start with some positives. We are, though, I'm afraid, going to have to go to the Emirates. In towards Gabriel Jesus, who pulls it back and Xhaka can dig it out. Gabriel Jesus can. Absolutely superb from Arsenal and absolutely shocking from Chelsea. This club is an absolute mess right at this moment. Performance first half nowhere near good enough. Too nice to play against in all aspects. Too passive defensively. The lines weren't coming up, giving them the space they want. From position in possession, not you know playing balls over their press. You know second balls, all the things that make you a nice team to play against. We did. Hence, a good team can go three 0 up against you. The second half was better, but of course the results relatively confirmed by them. Arsenal 3, Chelsea 1, then the Blues winning the second half. Chuckle. No, but seriously, this has been a dreadful season. Uh, Liam was there for the Athletic. Let's hear his full-time thoughts. Chelsea get battered everywhere they go. Those words are ringing in my ears after 90-plus minutes at the Emirates. And the chance stings so much for Chelsea fans, I think, because it's increasingly true. That's six defeats now in six games under Frank Lampard, who... I just witnessed go over to the the travelling Chelsea supporters. The ones that have remained gave him a very warm reception. 
um, along with the players who went over. Surprisingly so, all things considered, given the way this game panned out. Really an embarrassing performance again from Chelsea. It's easy to forget Arsenal came into this game in the midst of a sustained wobble. Winless in four off the back of a, a really bad, damaging loss to Manchester City that's probably ended their title challenge. And this was seven years to the day since the Battle of the Bridge when Chelsea, of course, so gleefully shattered Tottenham's Premier League title dreams in 2016. There was never even a hint that that could happen again. Lampard picked a more expansive lineup, went to a 4-3-3. Noni Madueke got his first start since February. Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang got his first start since January. Madueke, I thought, played quite well and ultimately deserved his first goal for the club. I doubt he'll treasure it. Aubameyang touched the ball nine times, four of which were from kickoffs, and was hooked at half-time. Just nothing really from Chelsea. I'm just witnessing Mikhailo Mudrik and Alexander Sinchenko having a very warm conversation. Mudrik was loudly booed when he came on, but I thought he actually carried a threat from the left-hand side. And you have to wonder at this point whether you know, some of the players who clearly have a future at Chelsea should get more of a run. Mudrik, Madueke, these guys were among Chelsea's lively performers, although the bar is embarrassingly low right now. Um, the goals Chelsea gave away, you know, the two from Martin Odegaard scored virtually the same goal twice. Both of them were excellent finishes, but pretty shambolic defending. The goal that Gabriel Jesus scored to make it three was really, really shambolic. Um, 2-0's been a dangerous lead for Arsenal in recent weeks, but there wasn't even a hint of anxiety in this ground anywhere at any stage. That's what Chelsea do to teams now. They put them at ease even when confidence is low. And there were times actually before Madueke scored when Chelsea were countering and there was audible laughter from the Arsenal fans around the press box. L literally the opposite of tension. I don't know if the owners were here. The cameras did not find them just as they didn't find them against Brentford. Surely they have to be very hard at work hiring a new coach for Chelsea and finding a new plan for this directionless club. A directionless club. Uh, the owners weren't there. We know that now. Todd Bowley's been speaking at the Milken Institute Conference. Here's an excerpt of what he said. Semi-skimmed from the Milken Conference, if you will. The fans are, 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 are demanding uh, and you know they want to win. And we get that. We want to win. Um, so, you know, I think our view, though, was that this is a long-term project. And, you know, we're committed to the long-term. Uh, and we very much believe that we're going to figure it out. We've got the best league in the world. We've got what I think is, you know, the top city in the world. And we've got an unbelievable location in the top city in the world. Uh, Simon, interesting. You, you you wrote this up for the Athletic uh, about his comments. I've seen a, a few comments from people today, uh, notably Chelsea Youth. He's obviously massive on on Twitter and, and the Chelsea community, saying it'd be nice if this kind of thing came through official channels. Has, has there been any word? I wonder if if there's any sense that there will be some communication from Todd Bowley or Clear Lake. You know, whether it's on the club website or something, just just to say, look, this is the state of play. We know it. This is what we're doing about it, or just to just to engage a little bit. Um, that's news to me at this point. 
you know, they've they've yet to do anything official to communicate with fans. Of course, obviously they have the their fans forum ideas and and fans that are on the board. So perhaps they, you know, they feel they can communicate that way rather than through the media. But um, it would definitely be, I think, in their interests to consider that idea. You know, given the 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 nightmare that has been this season, to to perhaps go on the record and 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 sort of talk about perhaps things they've learned and and mistakes, admit to mistakes that have been made, etc. Because the Frank Lampard appointment, everyone sort of can see through it really that it, it was to sort of negate any sort of criticism, but it hasn't worked. And 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 you sort of think, well, there's only one way that the fans' disappointment will go now, and that'll be aimed at them. So you would think they'd be better off getting ahead of the ahead of the game and 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 perhaps sort of addressing fans directly, whether it's through us or, or or coming out through Chelsea's um, media uh, circles, it does feel like you know they, they they do need to come out and and talk a bit more. And I guess Liam, if they do that, they'll want a bit of separation between that and the announcement of the new manager whenever that's coming. I guess so. You kind of not bundling in, you know, a, a mere culpa with, hey, look, great, we've got this new manager. Do we do we know what's happening with Maurizio Pochettino? It seems to have gone a bit quiet this week. All very quiet. This exhaustive process, or exhausting, depending on your on your perspective, is still going on. Um, you know, I, I think there's probably an element of Pochettino wanting to do his due diligence as well as Chelsea. You know, I know that I know that's the way the club will present it in terms of this hiring process, but Pochettino has to be sure that he can work with these owners as well, and I'm sure he he would have been watching closely the events of the past year. Tuchel sacking, the fact that Potter was brought in as a project coach and then sacked after, what, seven months? All the turnover that's been there at the club this year, the the current mess the squad is in. I mean, this is all, these are all things that I'm sure Pochettino will be very, very aware of in these conversations. So, I suspect the reason why it's it's not happening quickly is it's because it's not a simple conversation, and and that doesn't mean it's not going to get done. But I just think it's um, it probably explains why it's not happened just overnight. Fair enough. Um, we'll get back to Arsenal then. Unfortunately, Simon, where does this rank in in the pantheon of truly crummy Chelsea? performances this season I mean at half time it was looking like it was going to be the absolute worst wasn't it they did pick up a bit in the second half at least he said clutching well it certainly ranks uh <laughs> <laughs> thankfully I wasn't there but the whiff the whiff reached my house several miles away Chelsea stank in the first half if ever I sat there and went because we'd written the piece me and Liam about the mood in the dressing room and how it's the worst it's ever been, according to people that have been around it for a while. That was the evidence. If, if everyone doubted and questioned, well, you know, actions or non-action speaks louder than words. And that first half was an absolute disgrace, you know, in terms of those players, the majority of which were jogging around the pitch, 
no, you would never have known that was a London derby, let alone a derby against Arsenal. The opportunity, as we saw seven years before at Stamford Bridge, when Chelsea had an opportunity to salvage a little bit of pride from a horrific season by ending our, uh, Tottenham's title hopes. Well, Chelsea had an opportunity here to put a dent into Arsenal's, um, of course, who came into the game off what a four-game um, non-winning run. And and they stood there like, I, I think the um, the dummies at, at Arsenal's training ground would have given them more of a challenge in the build-up. It was embarrassing. Embarrassing. And the only, the only thing you could sort of say, and Frank Lampard could say, was that at least Madweki put some of his more experienced teammates to shame. I thought Mudrick, who Arsenal fans, I suppose, predictably but unfairly taunted and even decided to shine a laser in his face, I thought he did quite well coming off the bench. I think Liam's made this point in a, in a match piece that you would like to see these kind of players now play out the season rather than those that have clearly got their minds elsewhere and where they want to be next season, which isn't Chelsea. I was speaking to some Arsenal supporting people in the press room ahead of kickoff, and there was the usual kind of fatalism, given the wobbles that Arsenal have had in recent weeks, given the fact they were coming into this game off the back of a really damaging beatdown from Manchester City, let's face it. And because of the history that Simon's detailed about, you know, Chelsea's role as the party poopers in recent years and delight they've taken in playing that role when they can't win trophies themselves. But those fears were based on a memory of Chelsea. They weren't based on actually watching this team over the last few weeks. And for me, I kept telling people in the press room, you know, Arsenal are about to play the worst team in the league. And it was a rare example of doing this job and watching a game that proves to be exactly what you thought it was going to be. Usually football finds a way to surprise you either in a good way or a bad, but this was pretty much exactly what I expected in terms of the performance, because there's, there's just no, there's no motivation in this group, but there's no chemistry or confidence either. So it, it's just, there's just nothing there. They're just 11 footballers, talented footballers who are capable of having a good touch here or there, but there's nothing binding them together or, or creating a foundation for any sort of competitive performance. And I think actually when they came into the game after half time, it was because Arsenal was so comfortable that they actually became complacent. And that's about as far removed from the kind of anxiety that Arsenal have had to deal with, even when they've had the lead in recent weeks. You know, 2 0 has been a dangerous lead for Arsenal in recent weeks. And it was, uh, they were 2 0 up for three minutes because then they were 3 0 up. You know, that that's how comfortable it was for them in that first half. And and in the end, I think even with the goal Madueke scored, I liked I liked the goal. Obviously, Madueke was one of the brighter performers, but it was really a case of Arsenal switching off as much as anything. Yeah, and and you know, Southampton have embarrassed Chelsea twice already this season. Well, they've now done it a third time because of course they they went to the Emirates and and did what Chelsea didn't, which is really compete and and make Arsenal's life really difficult. And of course they took 
um, two points away from them, essentially, with uh, and, and could have won the game, but but for Arsenal staging a comeback of their own. I, I tweeted a few things during the game, as you can imagine. During the first half, one was a picture of the beach and saying this is where what Chelsea players are thinking of right now, rather than a London derby. I was also quite surprised Gary Neville. I don't normally call out Gary Neville or anyone else for, for their opinion for that matter, but he bizarrely he bizarrely tweeted uh, during the first half that his surprise. He was going, "Oh, I, re- I really fancy Chelsea today because Arsenal are low on confidence." <laughs> I just I just said mm, someone's not been watching much of Chelsea lately because there was no evidence, no evidence that Chelsea would go to Arsenal. And and do anything, but what I did hope for, rather than expect, I did hope for a meaty tackle at least. I suppose Conor Gallagher provided one when he came on and got got booked. But you can forgive being low on confidence and morale, etc. But you would have thought, at the very least, there'd be there'd be people sort of trying to win fifty fifties. And are you taking the Roy Keane road of kick someone just to feel something? Exactly. Exactly. I think someone needs to kick me, to be honest, uh, uh, just to put me out of my misery. But um, <laughs> anyway, it stank. It absolutely stank. And um, the other thing I thought of was that the f- the five teams Chelsea have to face, they must all be sort of biting at the bit. They can't wait. I mean, Bournemouth, they can go above Chelsea this weekend. Um, but look, if you're Nottingham Forest, you're thinking, oh, that that could be a vital three points, Matt. Stop smiling. And um, and Manchester, the only the only downer for Arsenal was, which I think our colleague uh, James McNicholas, I can't take credit for this, but he, he tweeted in the first half. He went, "Oh, when you realise that Man City also get to play Chelsea." I mean, you know, that's I don't envy Liam's got that one. Uh, I I don't envy him because I think City would be far more ruthless. Imagine Erling Haaland. The, the only thing is, I'm really rambling now. The only thing is, Real Madrid, I think, is either side of the Chelsea game. So maybe City will sort of think, actually, we could put out a reserve team. That'll, that'll do it. I don't think we need to do much more on Arsenal. I did wonder what was losing its value quicker, Bitcoin or Sterling. But um, <laughs> I just really wanted to get that get that line in. Um, I wonder, Liam, what happens next to Frank Lampard? He's lost his last 10 games as a coach. He, he came in here... You know, because he loves Chelsea, I'm sure, but because he wanted to re-establish his reputation, is his reputation salvageable after this? Where does he go next in terms of his managerial career? He keeps saying he's not worried about that. I don't see how you couldn't be in this situation, given how aware all coaches are of how they're perceived within the game. I don't see how Lampard couldn't be worried about the beating he's taking. Um, on a on a weekly basis, and I think you can see it in his face in the technical area. You know, at Arsenal, you had fans around the press box. Well, it was it went around the stadium, but it started from the fans around the press box singing "Super Frankie Lampard," and it's just you know that that's the kind of trolling that he's having to put up with, in addition to the performances that he's seeing on the pitch that are. Yeah, just just really, really damaging for him. It's not it's not even just the results and the the numbers are what they are in terms of the number of defeats that he suffered. I think it's always I, I do always think it's a bit disingenuous to like 
stick together records from two very different clubs in two very different situations because yeah you're going to lose a lot of games with Everton right now so is Sean Dyche but given where Chelsea were under Graham Potter which was not in a good place the way things have just completely flatlined under Lampard in terms of performances as well as results it's just not good for him and I don't think it I don't think he's responsible for all of that but it is happening on his watch and it's a really it's a really bad thing for his future prospects because club owners tend to have quite short memories you are only as good as your as your last one maybe two jobs and if you've if you've done well in your last gig you can you can change it quite quickly you can rehabilitate yourself quite quickly and no doubt that's what lampard was hoping to do with this chelsea stint but it really hasn't worked out that way and if it goes wrong it's hard to see where you go from there. Now he's someone who's, you know, he's got a great life. He's got a family. He's got a lot of money. He's got endless opportunities that aren't coaching. Um, So Frank Lampard will be fine regardless, but he clearly wants to be a successful coach. And in that, in that context, this is uh, yeah, hugely damaging for him. It must be an incredibly hard thing to compute you know, when you've been such an incredible player to not be able to match that as a, as a coach. And and you can tell that it, it's hurting. And, and also it's hurting, I'm sure, for him to see Chelsea the way it is, the, the place it's in right now. He's constantly obviously asked about, and, you know, I've been guilty of it as well, you know, comparing the team that he was in and, and, and this this bunch and he tries to he tries to say, look, you know that 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 that's gone. You know, it's about here and now. The problem is, he is giving the kind of angry sort of what you'd expect to the to the players. You know, I was told that after the Brighton game and before Todd Bowley came in and to to give his um, assessments to certain players, that Frank Lampard had really torn into the players, but. If they're looking at a guy going, well, you're only here for five minutes, the impact's going to be minimal, um, unfortunately. So you could almost argue he was doomed to failure this time anyway. I really struggle to think of someone, given where the players' minds are at right now, who who would have come in and, and done... Much better. I mean, maybe a point here, there, maybe a win somewhere. But I think it'd be wrong to sort of say that Frank Lampard is the cause for these six defeats. We all know that Chelsea are in a mess right now and and that mess was started long before he arrived. And that mess is going to the seaside this weekend. We'll talk about Bournemouth versus Chelsea next. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? 
Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. So it is the Cherries versus the Blues in the battle for 12th. What a world. Uh, Chelsea on the south coast on Saturday to take on Bournemouth, who have the same number of points as Chelsea, but they feel very differently about it. Um, Simon, in terms of selection for this game, you know, we, we've hammered a lot of the players who, who played against Arsenal. What about the system? Are, are we going back to a back three? Are we are we thinking that there's something that could be done there tactically, which might produce better results than what we've seen in, in recent times? And, and in terms of personnel, are we are we saying now that Mudrik and Madueke have to start after their promising cameos? Yeah, I'd, I'd like to think so. I'd like to see some players effectively punished, pay the price for their performance. Let's not go back to Arsenal, but I've kind of just did. Uh, <laughs> and those are those are the experienced players you're talking about, right? Your Kovacic's, Aubameyang, Sterling's. Yeah, so... And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> Um, although I had some sympathy for Bamiang because no one seemed capable of passing a football. So is it any wonder he had so few touches of the ball when Chelsea couldn't even get out of their own half because they were passing it to an Arsenal player every 10 seconds. See, we've done it. We've gone back to Arsenal. <laughs> anyway, um, but yeah, I would like to see, I'd like to see players that, that still care Give him a chance. I'd like to see Baddy Shill play. Remember him? Um, I think Jesse kidnapped him when they left the pod because Jesse had a big agenda <laughs> against Baddy Shill and all of a sudden, nowhere to be seen. Yeah, defensively, you sort of think Chelsea had a really good record when Baddy Shill was next to Silva. There's been so many mysteries of this season. <laughs> and Baddy Shill disappearing is... is it's not obviously right up there, but it's definitely one of them. It's very, very odd. So I'd like to see him play. And if it is a back three, I'd still stick with Fafana, although he looks he looks shot. He didn't look thrilled about getting subbed off either, did he, at the Emirates? I don't think with him it's a lack of effort. I think it's uh, he's had quite a, a, a tough run of it, I think. So he, he does he does look like he 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 uh, is struggling. Um, but I'd still give him another run out or maybe just because I've said that, maybe you, you think of Chalaba. But it feels like if, if Chelsea do go through at the back, you kind of have to as your right wing back. I think the mind is willing, but, you know, his lack of football this year, his age, etc. This calendar year, since the Southampton injury, you could tell he was a bit off the pace the other day. So maybe a, a Chalaba, maybe a... A loftus cheek in the right wing back position because obviously Reese James is is not fit. Liam, talk to me about Enzo Fernandez. He started every game since he joined Chelsea. Uh, he's right up there in the stats in terms of tackles won and you know ball recoveries and all this kind of stuff. He's, he's obviously burdened by the price tag. How, how do you think he's done so far? And is he somebody who might benefit from from a rest out of the team? I actually think of all the signings, because he's played so much, as you say, I think he's the one we've got the best handle on in terms of his strengths and his weaknesses right now. I think we've seen lots of really, really promising flashes with him, particularly in the way that he can progress the ball from midfield. He's a lot more aggressive than Jorginho was in terms of looking for line-breaking passes 
and I, I, I just think the, his football brain is is really, really at a high level in possession. I think we've also seen that defensively he's not there yet. I don't think this is like a Cesc Fabregas situation where he's like unsalvageable defensively and it's just a, a bit of a liability in a passenger when you don't have the ball. But I think a lot of the stuff that he does right now, I've seen other people who know more about these things than me talking about sort of bad body, body position when he's trying to shade players certain directions and just making the wrong decision about when to commit himself. He's made a lot of tackles, but he's also missed a lot of tackles and been dribbled past a lot. And ultimately, I think he's also been slightly miscast in this Chelsea team right now as the deepest midfielder. I don't think he is a pure register Jorginho type. They're not exactly the same type of player. I actually think the best version of Enzo Fernandez at Chelsea would be with a pure, with a more destructive physical midfielder next to him so that he can be almost like the Fabregas to the Matic. You know, I think if he's the more progressive passer in a in a sort of double pivot, I think that could work really, really well. And I, in general, what I've seen from from Fernandez has made me really excited about watching him at Chelsea because I think he's he can be the 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 midfield hub of a really good Chelsea team. It's just nothing around him is functioning at the moment, and I think he's um, I think he's playing in a not his ideal role right now. Producer Lucy speaking for me and I'm sure many of other Chelsea supporters um, by saying Declan Rice, please, as the player to go alongside Enzo Fernandez. He would be perfect. Legitimately, he would be a perfect midfield partner, I think, for, for Enzo Fernandez. It's and a it, tough sell to him now, though, isn't it, to Rice? I mean, how, how he, it, it looks like it was on at some point. Are you going to be able to persuade him to come to Chelsea and maybe get in the Conference League in five years' time? If you can keep his best mate, Mason Mount. If you, if you sell Mason Mount, I don't think there's any chance. <laughs> Uh, do you think Chelsea might win this game, Simon? <laughs> That's my answer. <laughs> well, Bournemouth have won their last two and four of their last five. Um, so let's hope that they're on the beach. Maybe that will help. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Space here for Fleming to take the shot. Oh, hits the post and Kerr puts it away. Huge, huge goal for Chelsea. 
Elsewhere in Chelsea news, the women's team played Liverpool in the rearranged league game on Wednesday night. You might remember the original match being called off in farcical circumstances after Kings Meadow turned into an ice rink. Uh, the good news is that their title hopes remain in their own hands after Sam Kerr's late winner gave them victory over Liverpool. The win means that the Blues are four points behind leaders Manchester United, but they have played two matches fewer. Uh, here's what Emma Hayes had to say. We had to get back into being in the WSL. That, that's what it felt like. That's what we spoke about at the end. We've been in Champions League, FA Cup. This is the game to get adjusted back to the WSL. And you could see we were asleep. First 10 minutes conceded. And we've had to dig it out. And we've done that. It's a shift in mindset, isn't it? And for you, how these crucial three points, were there times you'd think that they might not have come along? No, I don't think like that. I know we'll take it to the end, but... I did think at the beginning of still the hangover from Camp Nou and that game. And that took us a while to get going, get our legs going. But, you know, we, we brought on some quality in the second half. It certainly added a bit more of an attacking threat. And Sam Kerr, um, respectfully, definitely had a better second half. How, how crucial is she, especially for this last part of the season? Yeah, critical. But I thought Jessie Fleming took the shot, hit the bar. I thought she had an excellent game. Um, and Sam done what she's done many, many times for this team and popped up for the winner. OK, well, there were six WSL games to go. Now um, five left to go in this final run. For you now, looking forward, how positive are you, how confident are you that that title could be yours? I know we can produce better performances than we have done, but when you get to this stage, you've got to dig out results and we've done it tonight and I'm confident we can keep doing it. Uh, I said it in the intro, Liam. Thank the Lord for Sam Kerr. I mean, where would Chelsea Football Club be this season without her? Uh, she continues to to give us reason for hope. Yeah, she's a she's a one woman attack. I think uh, the injuries that Chelsea have had in the attacking positions with Frank Kirby missing time, Panilla Harder more limited, really has left it more squarely on. Sam Kerr and, and Guru Wrighton as kind of the most reliable supply line to her. But she's she's just improved so much, I think, in her all-round game. I know she hasn't scored quite as prolifically this season as she did last year in the WSL, but she's scored a lot of big goals. And it feels like whenever Chelsea have really needed her to pop up, uh, with the exception of that agonising Barcelona tie, of course, um, she's generally stepped up and delivered. And she just offers so much more, even in those bigger games in terms of her hold-up play. They know they can go more direct to her and she can she can win battles for the ball that she probably shouldn't win and give them a real platform to to move up the pitch from. So, yeah, she's she's become a real talisman. Or is talisman a, an expression of gender? Should it be talisman? I don't know. I don't know if talisman is just the word. But, yeah, she's incredibly important to to Chelsea and to the point where she's now pretty much indispensable I think. Uh, Liam mentioned the Champions League semi-final Chelsea drew him one all away to Barcelona it meant a 2-1 aggregate defeat. Uh, Disappointing Simon but there's also a part of me that thinks if Emma Hayes wins the Champions League with Chelsea she might walk away because she'll have done everything that she needs to do so you kind of think oh well at least she'll probably stick around (laughs) for another season at least. Oh, I like the half glass full uh, approach there. That's Matt. me. <laughs> yeah, we could. Can you go in the Chelsea dressing, uh, the men's dressing room? I hasten to. Yeah, and I think what was encouraging. I mean, you know, inevitably, you speak to people that that are around her on after the Champions League exit, and she was crushed. You know, she was 
very um you, you can tell it's the she, she's desperate for it she's desperate and comes so close a few times now of course Barcelona hammered Chelsea in the final a few years ago but the encouraging thing is 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 clearly as, as everyone remarked the gap is getting closer the difference in that the fact that Chelsea lost 2-1 over two game you know on aggregate Whereas that final, I just remember it just being so one-sided. And I think what the score was 4-0, if memory serves. And you could tell that that Barcelona were in a different league. But also to play that way in the camp now, I mean, 70,000. I mean, what an attendance. Uh, magnificent occasion. And to play under that pressure, to, to put Barcelona under that kind of pressure, the way they celebrated at the end sort of is, is the ultimate compliment to, to Chelsea. But you do feel like, you know, the men's team get, have had a, an incredible amount of investment, as we've talked about on this show many, many times. Perhaps, um, you know, if just a mere fraction of that can go to the women's team, then, yeah, perhaps they'll be in a better place to take on Barcelona again next time. Uh, they have a couple of home games coming up over the next few days do Chelsea they host Everton on Sunday and then they've got Leicester coming to Kings Meadow on Wednesday night that's uh, one of the games in hand the uh, the Leicester game that they have on Man United so an important one Leicester looking a bit better in recent weeks so not a given uh, academy wise the under 21's final game of the season ended in a 4-1 defeat to Brighton on Sunday it means they finished third in the table behind Liverpool on goal difference 13 points back from the champs Man City uh, the under 18's also played their final game of the season last week it was also against Brighton but they went and won 4-1 that means they finished fourth in the under 18 PL South plenty of great Chelsea stuff up on the Athletic at the moment if you want to hear more about that victory in the uh, women's game against Liverpool Flo Lloyd-Hughes has a piece up on that Simon what's on your agenda for the uh, the next few days and weeks well there's quite a few things I can't really talk about <laughs> so that's really helpful isn't it perhaps people wish that was the case every time I'm on this show that I just don't say anything but perhaps perhaps one thing we can flag although I'm not sure when it's coming out is um there's going to be a group effort I think led by Liam judging by the fact that he set up the slack that we're doing a, a sort of explain on the 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 glorified success that has been the Pierre Emerick Aubameyang transfer well, that might be a fairly short piece if that is the um, the thrust of it. Uh, Liam, so you'll be involved in that as well. What, what else have you got on your agenda? Yeah, or it could be an extremely long one if we're trying to apportion blame. <laughs> um, so, yeah, there's there's the Abamyang situation that we will be exploring. I'm also writing a piece ahead of the Bournemouth game, kind of hooked off Dominic Solanke, but also Chris Meppham, who's a who's a Cobham boy himself. Uh, once upon a time, about how Cobham graduates are viewed more widely within the game and how that sets up the academy to have a very interesting role in in Chelsea's future under this uh, new ownership about whether it's going to continue to be you know a cash cow or whether it can be something more substantial than that in terms of building the next competitive Chelsea team. 
Hmm, excellent. Look forward to reading that. Um, while we're talking Academy graduates, we should probably say congratulations to Jordan Houghton, who many of you will have watched captain the Chelsea under-21s for many years. He helped Plymouth to promotion to the Championship last weekend, so well done to him. Uh, that's where we're going to leave it for today. Athletic.com slash Chelsea pod is a place to go to sign up if you aren't currently a subscriber. You can read everything that the chap's doing, plenty more good stuff on there. Besides, we will be back with another show next week. Will we have a victory to talk about? Can't guarantee you that, but we'll do our best. All right. Speak to you soon. Bye for now. The Athletic.